Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Kid Stays in the Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cooper, and joining me this morning is Solomon Cannibal. <laughs> oh man, that was it wasn't the worst name, but the problem is your name is also a spoiler. Is that a spoiler? Tisk tisk. It's not a spoiler. Are you told the good people we're gonna be talking about? Already spoiling things. They know. <laughs> how, how would they possibly know? They saw the title of the movie on our podcast, they clicked it. And they've probably seen it, and if they haven't, then... Honestly, it's kind of true with uh, with plot descriptions these days. The movie tries to slow burn it, but I'm sure that you probably read about it or you wouldn't have clicked on the movie in the first place. Yeah. Anyway, we have a great show for you. It's going to be jam-packed, so we're going to try and be as efficient as possible. Uh, we have um, two new shows that are like airing side-by-side. That is uh, Marvel's Moon Knight. And then, of course, Paramount Plus, Plus's Halo, which we discussed last week. Um, so we'll just do a quick recap of those, and then we'll be moving on to our feature film to be discussing this week, which is Mimi Cave's debut feature film, Fresh. You said feature film twice in, like, one sentence. Did I? Mm-hmm. Oh, I said featured film. Okay. And then I said feature film. Different words. Okay. Totally you added different. one single letter. Well, what am I supposed to do? Was there? What's another word for debut feature film? Just say... Debut film. Okay. I don't think you're anyone who should be talking about vocabulary. Okay. You're right. I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, fresh. Uh, excited to talk about that. Um, I think the only person that most people will recognize from that movie is Sebastian Stan uh, because of his role in those small little Marvel movies. Yeah. Like the Avengers. <laughs> Very small. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and discuss. We don't, honestly, we don't have really a ton to say about, uh, about either Moon Knight or Halo this week. Not, not a lot really happened. Yeah, but it's still worth talking about. I mean, Moon Knight, we still, I mean, we're going to talk about it. We said we were going to, I know, I know what we said. I'm just saying like Moon Knight's a new, new, new drop. We got to, all right. Well, what do you want to start with Moon Knight or Halo? I'll let you, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you choose. Um, Halo. That way, I feel like it's easier for people who don't care about the show to skip. Okay, go ahead. Um, what do you mean, go ahead? Why go, ahead go ahead and talk about it. I'm just going to sit here. I'm actually taking this podcast off. What? <laughs> uh, so Halo, uh, not too much happened in the episode. We met a new character, um, named Soren. Played by... Bokeem Woodbine. Yep. I... Nice. Um, and, uh... Why, do, why am I still talking alone? I don't know. I just thought you had so much to say about these shows. You said they're still worth talking about. Well, I was mainly talking about Moon Knight. 
I'm not fully convinced, but yeah, especially Halo. So this episode is basically a, I guess you could say it's character building. Is that what they're trying to do? You could also say it's a placeholder episode or a filler episode. Um, the only thing that it really does is, A, it lets us know that not only will Master Chief be taking his helmet off a lot, unlike mm-hmm. a certain Mandalorian. Not only his helmet, his all of his clothes. But yes, he'll be walking around in his space drawers most of the episode long. Mm-hmm. They did get him back in the suit pretty quickly, so I appreciate the fact that at least they seem like they want to do that. Um, but yeah, kind of, uh, kind of, like, I thought the writing was a lot better. I thought the special effects were more consistent, even though there wasn't any huge set pieces in this episode. Yeah. Um, I thought the sets were all really great, and I thought the performances were overall more interesting. There was another shaky door, though. Yeah, there was. Unfortunately. Yeah, so for folks who didn't tune in last time, I pointed out that one of the ways that you can tell that this show has like an in kind of inconsistent use of its $10 million per episode budget is that you could see one of the giant, what is supposed to be a metal spaceship door, it's like shaking like a prop, like it's obviously a prop. Something that you normally wouldn't see unless you're watching the original series of Star Trek from like the 60s. Yeah, I feel like we should start doing a tracking on uh, how many shaking doors there are yeah. in the show. Uh, it, the, the thing that it, to me, it belies an underlying problem with the show, which is that uh, somebody's not paying attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. And these sci-fi shows, you there should be so much attention to detail because everybody's so passionate about it, mm-hmm. these big prestige shows. And this feels like... That's not happening. You know what I mean? So the scenes, the scene, the big set piece scene, sure. But like the cutaway scene, whoever's doing their B team, you know, uh, who's shooting those cutaways and stuff. Yeah, it's like they're not even paying attention to it at all. Yeah, it just seems kind of lazy. Yeah, exactly. Like this, this, for instance, was it's a huge metal, like an enormous steel door. Yeah, and it's like locking like some prisoners or whatever. Yeah, locking a prison. And when the guy pushes the code, every time he pushes a button on the keypad, the entire door is shaking. Yeah. It's obviously, you know, made it's out of plywood. So bizarre. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, it was a really solidly written episode, you know, if you... But I don't really care about getting into Master Chief's psyche about how he used to have friends a long time ago. Um, and I think for a second episode, to do a flashback at the beginning that's kind of long... You know, it wasn't terribly long, but it was like five or ten minutes. No, it was not. It was like two to five minutes. Felt like an eternity to me. Oh, my gosh. Either way, it's a flashback to when they're not kids, but a flashback to when they're young adults. Yeah. And it's different actors. That just seemed bizarre. We just got introduced to all these characters, and now we're seeing different actors play them in a very small time difference. You know, I don't know. There's something about it rubbed me the wrong way. I, I disagree. It just seemed like a flashback. Also, when they sense. when they go back to the UNSC and they're talking to all the military people, once again we're in, you know, D list sub sci fi channel level performances. Yeah, it's really really bizarre. I don't understand because you would think even if they don't have the money to name to to hire big stars, you can still find talent. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not the most boring librarian people. It's like it's like really really old librarians honestly they should have gone just down to their local community theater and they would have been able to find better performers or at least more interesting performers yeah honestly um so yeah not much going on there anyway see i'm already falling asleep talking about this so not much else to say about halo we'll have to see what the show ramps up and the, the plot actually kicks into gear yeah well let's talk about something more fun and something new moon knight Yes, Moon Knight. So Marvel's new show on Disney Plus 
uh, this is pretty much disconnected from um, the rest of the Marvel Universe. Which is very unfortunate. I would love to see Moon Knight connect to the to the Marvel Universe. It doesn't mean that it never is. It just means that we're not going to be seeing a bunch of Iron Man cameos or Captain America cameos like the last couple of shows. Oh. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes That's fine. That's normal. Good, because I was wondering why you were so annoyed about whenever I told you that. Because I'm glad. I don't want Moon Knight to be having to, like you know, talk about Iron Man all the time or whatever. It seems idiotic. Yeah, I thought he just wasn't going to ever appear in, like, any of the movies or whatever. Well, as of right now, they're telling them that they can make a completely separate story. So if they feel like later on they want to cross over, they can. But if they don't feel like they don't have to. Okay. I think that's fine. Yeah. Do we need all these movies to constantly be touching and poking each other like some kind of huge cinematic orgy? No. We don't. Seems like that's what you're advocating for. Didn't love that um, simile there. Well, that's what you got. That's what you get for back sassing me. Okay. All right. Anyway, so Moon Knight, again, so not the same problem as Halo has. So we have the, um, obviously, the budget and effects team that comes with being a Marvel and Disney production. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazing A-list actors. We, you know, this is a show that's starring Oscar Isaacs and Ethan Hawke, two Academy Award winning actors, or at least Academy Award nominated actors. Um. Yeah, doing a pro now for Oscar Isaacs, like uh, like I mentioned before, whenever uh, before we did the podcast, you know he has a lot of familiarity with this because I wanted to say because I think when I think of Oscar Isaac, I think of like Inside Lewin Davis, you know what I mean, like Coen Brothers movies. But I obviously I think of Star Wars. I was gonna say obviously a lot of people are gonna think of these huge franchise movies, so he is familiar with with working in big franchise movies. Um, Ethan Hawke, though, I don't I don't feel like has done anything as an adult where he really dabbled into this except i mean unless you consider the purge movies a huge franchise purge is pretty big yeah yeah but whenever he did it he only did the first one and it was a little indie movie when it came out you know what i mean they oh. didn't know it was going to turn into yeah you know a crazy horror i don't know anything about the purge i also don't know i don't think i know anything about ethan hawk i told you that he was in your favorite sci-fi movie that you watched when you're like eight and i was so surprised that you understood it yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. i forgot about that yeah the one where he goes back in time and then marries himself and then births himself. Yeah, I I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's called Predestination. I highly recommend it. It's a really, really good movie. I, my brain was so fried after I watched that for like three weeks. I was so young. Yeah, like oh. he gets like he he goes back in time. He uh, becomes a woman in one timeline. Then he goes back into the future. And then meets himself and falls in love with himself, and then has a baby, which turns out to be himself. Yeah, it's very, very confusing. He also like kills himself and as kills his dad. Him. Yes, and he kills himself as his dad. Yeah, it was weird, weird, fun movie though. Would recommend. Yeah, highly recommend it. Anyway, back to Moon Knight. <laughs> uh, so this show is this show is really odd. Um, they don't even really give us what the premise of the show is going to be in the pilot, not entirely. Yeah. It just kind of gives you like a feel of what the show's gonna be like. It's a, it's just a setup. Yeah, but it's like entirely set up, and I, that's fine. It's a TV show, so I'm not gonna judge the whole series based on it. But I will say, like, essentially, most of the show is just um, it, like Oscar Isaac's character uh, blacking out. Every, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's actually really cool. It goes it, like it has like a, it's like a he like his eyes like roll back in, into the back of his head and it like plays it goes like. Yeah, I, I what one thing I think they did really did really well with momentum is so 
so Oscar Isaac's character at the beginning, he's just a schlubby uh, gift shop worker at the Museum of Natural History in London. And he's obviously kind of a loser. He lives alone with his goldfish, like yeah. that George Salazar song. Uh, but he seems perfectly happy with his life, except for the fact that he uh, believes that he's having uh, night terrors or he's sleepwalking or something. So he puts sand around his bed, tapes his door closed and chains himself to the bed to make sure that he doesn't get out and go sleepwalking. Yeah. Um, so at first we're get, we're given very brief glimpses into what he might be doing whenever he thinks he's asleep. You know, a girl thinks that he asked her out, him out, a girl thinks that he asked her out on a date. Yeah. And you can tell that he's used to dealing with that because he just goes along with it, you know, and assumes he must have said something when he was asleep. Mm hmm. But the momentum starts building to where he starts flashing in and out of his own body over the course of like action sequences or car chases. Yeah. Uh, it, it does have a little bit of a downside of meaning that we don't get to see a lot of the action happening. But it's really fun, I think. I thought it was really interesting because he's, like he's like a sweet little, he's very lovable, sweet guy. And then he's just like really scared and then all of a sudden crazy things are happening around him. And I just think that's fun. I think it's really funny, um, and we were discussing this last night, that a lot of the internet has talked about how he his how fake his British accent sounds, which is the point yeah. of his entire accent is mm -hmm. that he's not, you know, a British person. Yeah. In real life. But yeah, other than that, a quick setup with Ethan Hawke, who we know is working with some uh, Egyptian god or for some Egyptian god, and he basically is judging whether or not people are worthy. Yeah, it's like a sca scales of... Yeah, he's like a tattoo on his arm, and he holds your hand, and then he says, you know, Amon is... Is it Amon? Amit. Amit. It's Amit. I have nothing to say. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I have nothing to say about this. Mm -hmm. Like, you're on a Senate committee hearing. Um, but yeah, I think it's Amit. But yeah, they... Uh, the scales will move back and forth, and then if Amit judges you unworthy, then you die. But other than that, we really don't know what the plot of the show is. We don't really know how he turns into Moon Knight. We don't have any idea what its connection to him is. He's kind of getting stalked by some weird mummy thing yeah. throughout the episode. We don't really know what Ethan Hawke wants or anything like that. Yeah, and we only see Moon Knight at, at the very, very end of the episode. Yeah. But it, 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 I think it was a good way to, like, it gave me excitement for the next episode and future episodes. Yep, I'm looking forward to it, but there's not much to say about it now. Yep. All right, well, we have a very special guest going to be joining us today, uh, Katie Rivers, who has flown in all the way from San Francisco just to do this podcast. That is the only reason that she is here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She took time off of uh, work. She took time away from her family and friends uh, to do this show. So I don't want to waste any more ta time talking about Moon Knight. So we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And we'll be back with uh, Katie Rivers to discuss Mimi Caves Fresh. word from our sponsors. And we're back. Welcome, miss. <laughs> Look, this person just appeared here. I think that was my cue. Uh, Katie Rivers here, big horror fan. Yes. Hi. And general geek. 
even though, uh, and we'll get into this in a little bit, Solomon was going to be arguing that Fresh is not a horror movie, mm. which is a very bizarre take. It's not even, and I'm happy to stand on the other side of that argument. It's but, not even that scary. Uh, so uh, this is an interesting movie for a lot of reasons, but to start off, this is a, like I said earlier, sorry if I'm saying it too many times, Solomon, but it's a debut feature film uh, for for Mimi Cave and the writer, I can't remember. Lauren Kahn. Lauren Kahn, yeah. Uh, she's only written one other movie, and it was a it was a net rom com for Netflix called Ibiza. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen that movie. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I didn't think it was it was terrible. I mean, I watched it all the way to the to the end. I would definitely say that if the only thing I had seen of her, well, that is the only thing I could have seen of hers was Ibiza. This is not the movie that I thought we were going to get. So full spoilers for this podcast. I know we say that all the time, but there's really not even a way to discuss this movie without spoiling at least a lot of things. Yeah, and that's true. Um, before I let Solomon get to the plot synopsis, mm. which will obviously spoil a lot of things in the movie, I want to say how sad it is to me that you can't, I mean, there's not really a solution for this, right? Because you can't do a trailer for a movie that hides the twist because then no one's going to watch it. They're going to think they're going to see your romantic comedy. Right. Yeah. And there's no way you could even get people to watch it on Hulu, which is where it premiered because who's going to scroll through something like it would be amazing if we lived in a world where Hulu would put it under romantic comedies and then people would be like, what the F is happening right now? That'd be so awesome. I have to confess that I came to it completely blind. Honestly, I was like, why is this called Fresh? I don't need to know. All I know is a date went bad and it's a horror movie and that's enough for me. But that's the thing. You know it's a horror movie. Oh, I do know that. And that's the thing That's the thing that the movie is kind of trying to hide. The... the uh, credits for the movie don't even come up until about 20, 20 minutes in or so. Which was awesome. The, I loved the that. The opening hook was really interesting. That was an interesting take on setting up an ordinary situation. Right. And then having it go south. And that's what's sad to me about the fact that most people are not going to be going into this movie knowing nothing at all about it. Even if you're the kind of person like me who doesn't want to read a full plot synopsis, I at least want to know what the movie that I'm going to see is about. Most people do want to do that. That's fair. So... Yeah, anyway, Solomon, it's time for you to give us a plot synopsis of Fresh, just so that the listeners and viewers are all caught up. Why can't we just give the plot synopsis to our guest? Wouldn't that be so much more fun? That's your job. For everyone? It's your job to do the plot synopsis. I'm going to critique the plot. Oh, no. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, Plot synopsis? Yes, ma'am. Plot synopsis? So that's what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. That was too loud. You just blew everybody's eardrums out. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. So start with the general. You just blew your garlic parmesan breath all over everybody's face. I had an Altoid. Can we? Can we? Uh, maybe assist you and say like. No, we can't assist him. No, you oh, cannot oh, assist. Just oh, so you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a, gonna be painful. Yep. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. me. That's the point. And the listeners. Yep. Yep. Okay. S- so um, we 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 meet a girl. And uh, she's going on some dates, and she meets this really nice guy. She, he's really sweet, and um, eventually they go away together. And uh, 
he drugs her. And see, now we're getting into plot details. We now, see the general synopsis. Now she's trapped, and we have to see what happens. That's a good stopping point. Katie, how would you have done the plot synopsis if you want to have a f- synopsis off? Oh, I don't know if I wanted to have a full synopsis off, but what we have is essentially a premise, uh, an online dating premise, ordinary situation. Somebody's going on dates, they're bad. Then uh, Twist is uh, the main date ends up just being met in the supermarket. So it's kind of an interesting like, ooh, we're going on an online dating critique and oh, well, meet in real life. And the, the great thing about that scene is uh, it's actually one of the best meet cutes that I've seen in a really long time. I've watched a lot of romantic comedies. I watched the new Jennifer Lopez romantic comedy, and which is supposed to be a throwback to classics. That was a really, really adorable meet cute that they have at the grocery store. All before the credits. Like this is right. the brilliant part of the hook before the credits. Yeah, we, we get a mini rom-com in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what you would say for the synopsis. And then, uh, and then, no, I didn't say to, I would be good at the synopsis. I said I was willing to help Solomon with the synopsis. You said you were going to no, but I just, my I, I just, I don't think there's a way to do the synopsis within having the and then part, right? Yeah, I mean, and then we get into a date gone bad, which is what I saw uh, when I was reading the New York Times. Like, your date wasn't this bad. And I was like, oh, I'm in. I don't even need to know anything else. Um, so the bad date is, uh, yep. A classic roofie in the drink or whatever drug it was, and then you wake up handcuffed in a in a cell, and um, then it gets real terrifying. Yeah, and I think we should just go ahead and uh, you know rip the bandaid off and say this is a movie about cannibals. I mean, that was my name. My <laughs> name Solomon is Solomon Cannibal. Cannibal. <laughs> yeah, and that that's the reason why I think, especially with it, like, so let's say it had just been a a, a different kind of horror movie where it is about a date that goes wrong, it keeps escalating and how bad it gets, right? It could even become criminal. It could even become scary. And I think that that might annoy people a little bit less. But if people just were to go into this movie thinking it was just going to be one thing and then it turns into this other thing, I mean, uh, Katie, you had a pretty visceral reaction to this movie. I did. Um, I had a very specific reaction. Solomon had... I was pretty chill on, uh, Solomon honestly. was laughing, yeah. becoming friends with the, uh, the antagonist. Yeah. I don't see the issue. But this was, uh, yeah, this is a, this movie goes into a really, it's way past, uh, you know, a bad date. It's the moment where she wakes up handcuffed and he's sitting in the room and she freaks out and is like, what are you going to do to me? And he's like, I can tell you, but you don't like it. To me, everything after that, like that's the apex. He said, I'll tell you, but you'll freak out. I'll tell you, but you'll freak out. And that's like, we're right at the top of the roller coaster and then stomach lost right after that. And part of what's so brilliant, right, is that you think he's, like, going to do something weird, like chop off her body parts or her skin or, like, classic serial killer or whatever. Just keep her hair, maybe maybe put her teeth in a jar. No, it's just so much worse than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and Solomon thought this guy was his hero. That's not true. Solomon's Look. like those frat bros who watched American Psycho and they think uh, Bateman is, like, their hero. They get T-shirts of him. Or the people who do the same thing with Scarface. That's what Solomon's. Solomon was trying to think of his own cannibal empire that he could start. No, look, right. look, listen. Let me explain. There two was some things. concern. We had some concerns. Let me explain, guys. Explain. All right, it's explain. normal. I look in the beginning. Whenever she got kidnapped and roofied or whatever, I was sitting there being like, "It's okay, it's okay." 
because I was stressful, all right? That gave me anxiety. And also, I just wanted to exploit the cannibal business, all right? Sell the cannibals pork instead of humans, get tons of money, and no one's getting murdered or eaten. I feel like we should say that what he tells her that he's going to do in the cell is that he's going to slowly fillet her and sell her meat. Yeah, I think I was, I was going to say that we need to really live up to the full spoilers part of this right. podcast because the point, right. the point, the reason that we do that is so we can fully discuss the movie. And that's right. a really important part is that, yes, he tells her that, and he's, the, the, the thing that is, um, depending on your viewpoint, funny about the movie is he's like, he still is acting the same way as he was acting when they were dating, you know? He's, for the most part, obviously, there's some outbursts of violence, but, um, and he's just acting like really laid back and just telling her to, to chill. And if you, if you really think about it, there is something very, very darkly humorous about somebody telling you that you're overreacting to the news that they're going to slowly cut pieces of your body off and sell them. And it's not like he's going to kill her and sell her body to cannibals. He's going to, he wants to keep the meat fresh as long as possible. So he's going to cut them off. Fresh. And he's a surgeon. So he sutures them back up. I was going to say we should mention he's a plastic surgeon at this time. Yeah, he's full surgery theater. Yeah, so he so he has yeah he has a full operating room. So yeah, he can cut off pieces of your body, sew you back up, let you recuperate, so that them you know, and that way he's only selling fresh human meat to his market of rich psychopaths. Fresh. It's also interesting that he's he is concerned about the stress level of his victims, not because he's actually concerned about right. them. He's concerned about the meat. He's concerned about the levels of cortisol right. that are in their blood. And I think that that's something that I mentioned while we were watching the movie is that they're basically being treated like Kobe Kobe beef. You did mention that. Um, which Solomon then said that he would love to go out that way, that's, being slaughtered uh, like a cow. Okay, there was a video that I watched, all right, and it was like the Wagyu theory or whatever, and it was like, would you die really young if you could live a Wagyu life, if you were like super rich or whatever? Yes, that's I would. That's because you're really young right now. Wait until you're my age, and then th your definition of really young. Would you die? Also, I, I was talking about actually how the cows are like treated which is what was happening to the people in the movie. Why would you think that I meant you be to become really, really rich that's a, and live a rich person life? That's what I was imagining for the Wagyu thing. But also... I'm I like, was talking about what's happening to them, getting chained into a room, but you get nice food and they're generally okay to you while they're killing you. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's some interesting things that happen in this movie. One... Uh, I kind of want to talk about who dies and who doesn't die at some point. And maybe now isn't the right time, but I think that's something super interesting about this film. Um, yeah, well, let's wait till we get a little bit further into the movie. Great. We don't usually go like beat by beat okay. um, anyway. Um, so we're not going to, we don't have to like slowly go through every single plot point. Uh, but one thing I do want to. It's uh, like slowly getting filleted just <laughs> being here. <laughs> um. One thing, though, I, I did think was worth uh, pointing out is that so the movie goes into actually let's go ahead and uh, discuss like kind of how our reactions were once the movie starts turning into a horror movie. OK, like once I really like once the movie yeah. really got into the movie. Yeah. So the movie so the movie starts whenever that first turn happens and he roofies her. That's horrifying. Right. We we mm -hmm. we, we, we all Most are familiar definitely. enough with the situation that we know what's happening. Um, so she starts kind of her vision starts going blurry and we know what's happening. We already know it's not nothing good happens after that. Um, 
and like nobody's ever woken up and they're like, we just wanted to tell you won the lottery. Um, so she's not only that, she's chained to a room, you know, on a mat. So pretty horrifying. Um, so we have a huge tonal shift at that moment. And it's definitely worth mentioning that this movie was produced by Adam McKay. Um, a lot of the headlines about this movie have been kind of uh, quippy and, you know, a lot of food puns, a lot of cannibalism jokes. Um, so I, I want to say on the outset that I definitely believe that this movie do, is trying to do a dark comedy horror, kind of like American Psycho. Not, not horror comedy. Not trying to say it's. I don't think it's a horror comedy. I do, but I think that definitely is a dark, very pitch black comedic element that is running through the film. However, whenever that turn happened, I wasn't. I left anything funny so far in the rearview mirror that I was just so stressed out. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Well, one I want to say that Mimi Cave talked about how she was trying to strike the balance between jokes and gore without being campy. Yeah, and I I actually think she did that, like pretty well. So I I was impressed with that, um, and she wanted it to be meaningful and visceral. You know what? A plus Mimi Cave, because that was meaningful and also visceral. I've never been so uncomfortable in a movie. I have never looked away from the screen so many times as I did in that movie. And it's it's interesting because there really isn't very much gore in this movie until the very la last part of the last act. The gore is the idea. Exactly. We are so averse to eating each other. Mm -hmm. As I think we should be. That yeah, that's fair. I can barely look at the the screen when they're like sh throwing up butcher shop, like it's like it's uh, Kobe beef, and you're just like, oh, this guy's just going to work. It's another day at work, and I'm like, I can't watch this man work if what he's doing is eating another person or preparing another person. No, that makes sense, and I think that I think that, uh, but even just even the, even the scenes where he's doing the surgery, I was expecting that we were because we have a there's a lot of plastic surgery shows on TV where they very graphically show tumors getting removed or face yeah. lifts and stuff. So I was expecting that the, the gore was going to come there, but we really don't even see very much of that either. You're right. It's the anticipation of the gore and it's the results of the gore. What we see are the results of the gore. Yeah. So go ahead and reveal that uh, our protagonist first thing that goes for her is her, her butt. Yeah, he yeah. takes he takes her butt. He takes her butt cheeks off. And this is, mm -hmm. uh, and then I'll let Solomon say what his kind of reaction was to the movie. So, but I do want to say, a lot of these scenes when I say them out loud, you can, the audience that's listening to us right now probably is like, how were you not figuring out this was supposed to be at least mildly comedic in some way? But we were so invested in the main character for those first twenty minutes that it wasn't there was nothing funny about the fact that her boyfriend straps her to this gurney and he's like she's like what are you going to do and he's like I'm taking your ass it's yeah, like I did, I didn't find it funny at all I I didn't find the yeah. movie funny period but Solomon I just feel so weird that I'm the odd one out here but you're you're creating some uh, texture in the perspective yeah I I know and probably a perspective that I think like Adam McKay as the producer would appreciate yeah I just thought it was just so wacky and bizarre and I just thought just the idea of just the way like the 80s music was playing like this whole time, like while he's doing the surgeries and like all this like fun, upbeat things are happening while this really crazy, dark, awful thing is happening, which I just thought was funny. And they really do. They actually have him like slide into the kitchen like uh, like Tom Cruise in Risky Business or Cocktail. 
Yeah. Right before he starts carving up like a woman's leg that he gets out of his refrigerator. Yeah. Carving up leg bones, vacuum packing them, like throwing knives, vacuum packed yeah. meat steaks all over the place. And I don't remember what the needle drop there was, but it was like some 80s pop song. So again, not really, that's not really leading me to believe that they didn't want us to be at least like laughing through our horror. But I think that is part of the tone that, that you would even, and the character, the main character uh, references this herself, that you would even become okay with the scenario enough to laugh should horrify you. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that's part of, part of kind of the, the bit, the catch of this film. Yeah, I would. I whenever we were watching it, I kept making comparisons to the NBC show about Hannibal Lecter, um, and I know it's weird to reference Hannibal Lecter and not his movies, uh, but that is a great TV show. But one of the things that I was uh, telling Katie was when they shot that show, they hired people, they hired cinematographers who were experts mm-hmm. in filming documentaries about food you know those those shows like the great british british bake-off that make you so hungry while you're watching it and these people knew how to do that so whenever hannibal would be preparing these meals um for his guests to come over oftentimes it was their own friends um you would feel you he wanted you to have a physical reaction of your your mouth starts producing more saliva you start feeling hungry Mm-hmm. And you now feel really gross because you are wanting to partake in this meal that you know is like Samantha or somebody. Yeah. This movie took an opposite approach, I think. Yeah. This movie did it. They shot it like a PETA commercial that was trying to convert everybody to veganism. Like they shot the grinding of meat and the butchering of meat in a very grotesque way, even when it wasn't yeah. using it getting cut off of a person. Yeah, and they also, like, filmed mouths in a very gross way. And, like, even in the beginning, before it, like, it gets to, or, like, before the um, the credits, it's still, like, even, like, watching them, like, drink or eating just felt gross for some reason. Well, they it, there was a lot of close-up on, there was a lot of mouth work. Yeah. And having gone into the film entirely blind and did not even, I did not know it was about cannibalism. I just thought it was about <laughs> bad dates. I was like, hmm, interesting. What's happening with all this, these mouth shots? So I actually thought that was incredibly clever. Um, so Agreed. I can't, I can't remember what the uh, cinematographer's name is, but um, he, he works with. I'll uh, get that for you. Oh, I'm glad oh, you have it right there handy. Powell. Paul. Powell. Yeah, it's very hard to pronounce. He's from Iceland. Pogorzeski. But the, the reason that people people aren't going to probably recognize his name, but he worked with Ari Aster for a long time. He was his primary cinematographer for movies like Hereditary and um, Midsommar. And I think that this choice that he made, he because it juxtaposes perfectly, uh, it, well, let's say this, it foreshadows the cannibal part, but it mm-hmm. also is a very natural thing that if you watch a... Not not a romantic comedy, but if you watch um, a, more like a sexual thriller or a movie like Nine and a Half Weeks or Eight and a Half Weeks, where when characters start becoming more intimate and it starts to become more of a physical thing, you will see cinematographers start focusing close-ups on mouths, eyes. And uh, for those of you who have been out on dates with people, this is something that happens, right? right? As the date starts to become more intimate, you do start focusing a lot more on the person's mouth as you get ready to kiss them or, you know what I mean, or their eyes. Well, the other layer of that is that uh, Stan Sebastian or Sebastian Stan, his character actually references the intimacy of eating somebody. 
right it is this intimate act and that's part of the whole like his whole cannibal subscription service right you know is that his his subscribers want to feel some sort of intimacy and he claims it's beautiful um with the people that they're they're eating oh it's so so disturbing when they show that because he's basically like he's at a subscription service and i think we kind of but it's kind of like you know simply or loot crate or whatever but for cannibals and it comes with like your meat, where it came, a picture of the person it's from, and like a memento from them. Yes. And it's very, very, very disturbing. Yeah, that was weird. I, and I, I choose agree. to believe, uh, not because I think that nothing uh, nothing uh, bad can ever come from Texas, but I'm, choos- I'm just going to choose to believe that he lied about where he was from and he's not actually from Texas. But he was supposed to be a cannibal mm-hmm. from Texas. And they did say that show that one of his uh, subscribers had a big cowboy hat on, which I found mildly amusing. Classic. So, Solomon, why don't you tell us some of the hilarious jokes in this hilarious movie where a woman gets her butt cut off at the beginning, which now that I say that, it also sounds like it's a joke. Yep. It's not funny, though, guys. Ha, 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 ha. It was terrifying. Look, yeah. I've already explained. I just felt like the whole idea of just him just talking about it like it was like the most normal thing in the world while the most upbeat music is playing, and it's like the recording is like it's like a fun, like, Kids movie like there's this uh, where it's like he's driving around with his uh, cart. My bad, I hit the I hit the mic. Uh, when he's driving around with his meat cart, and he's like running down, and it's like the shots is like going around the hallways, and it's like really fun because he's picking up his new legs. He's having fun at work. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a fun. It's just so weird, and I liked it. I like the 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 black comedy. This movie plays with the core emotion, like horror. The core emotion of horror is is fear but then you have this pull at laughing when you should be afraid or you should be casting judgment or disgust well, that's I mean, interesting and it's something like uh whenever i ride roller coasters i get very very afraid at the top because i'm very afraid of heights mm-hmm. but i still like roller coasters but if you've ever ridden a roller coaster with me then i just end I up have. laughing hysterically the entire time that's true. I start off screaming <laughs> and I just like laugh hysterically like the Joker. I would know. It's, it's, <laughs> it is quite odd. I mean, when I got in trouble in fifth grade and got called into the principal's office, all I wanted to do was laugh. All, the only other option is crying. <laughs> That's when I learned I laugh when I get in trouble. <laughs> um, this film, I think, does some, I mean, it does all the many things that a horror movie wants to do. Because in addition to being viscerally like uncomfortable, I also thought that it was super smart and I liked it. A lot. I was like, okay, I got through that, and I appreciated it. And horror movies are usually cautionary tales uh, or prescriptive um, uh, uh, statements about society. And so I was really watching this like a cautionary tale uh, where it's like, "Mm, don't go out into the woods with a stranger where your best friend can't track you and there's no location setting. I was like, warning sign for society right away. Everybody should watch this movie. Don't go on dates if no one can track you. That's yeah. kind of, and certainly don't go out of town with some person that you just met, no matter if it's Sebastian Stan or not. True. Right. But at, at least if you are going to make that decision to go out of town with a, a person that you met in the supermarket three days ago, put your, make sure that people can find you. Yeah. You know? But the, the, it, so the red flags throughout the dating process I thought were, were interesting. And so that really put me in the space of like, oh, this is going to be like a warning tale. This is going to be a warning story. Um, is it is it okay to talk about who dies and who lives? Sure. Or is that is this a good time? I mean, uh, we still have about 
10 minutes to go. Okay. So if you want to wait till a little bit closer at the end. I'm just so excited about who dies. <laughs> well, there's, cause there's just, just the only reason I'm going to wait, hold off is because there is one thing that I think that is important to discuss about an, another turn. Because the movie has, I think, two major turns. Fair. So it, the, the first one is whenever he turns out to be somebody who's a cannibal who's going to butcher you like livestock. This is true. But the second one is whenever she actually starts to feel like there's a way out of this. Right. Um, she reads a little note that another person who probably is dead now yeah. left in a magazine that basically just said to keep fighting. And she came up with a comes up with a tactic. Uh, mm, so here's yeah, it, it's, sorry, it's, the magazine says, like, if you're reading this, you can you should keep fighting because he likes you. That means yeah. he likes you. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he gave you magazines. He gives magazines to the ones he likes. Yeah. Yep. So um, the turn there is that her way of fighting back is by playing into his fantasy of what a perfect woman would be. Which is in some ways uh, one of the things that a good horror movie does, praise of the the villain. Right. She figures out how to praise him and seduce him. He can't be reasoned with. So and, she takes the emotional the emotional road in. And this is where I actually was able to find I wouldn't say I was like ha 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 laughing, but it was where because she you knew that she was taking the power back, right? So it wasn't all right. in his court. So then I was able to at least be amused by how the movie then turns back into a romantic comedy, but in this horrible, twisted, awful way. Mm-hmm. But it's going through all the motions of what you would see at this point in a romance movie, right? Right, they're having dinner together. They're- and and the, we should say that her praise of him is like, she wants to know what it tastes like. She gets him with this. I want to know what it tastes like. I'm curious. And then she basically kind of tricks him into thinking that she has become a cannibal too. And she thinks it's amazing. But, and this, and I don't want to dwell on this too much. The, the movie, it's all in the movie. So I, I think we'd just be patting ourselves on the back. if We delve too much in what's already in the text as subtext. Sure. But there is a exploration of uh, not just toxic masculinity, but but male privilege in one specific sentence that he says, that I think really underlines the movie because it's basically what people say after they've committed a crime, like whether it's date rape or it's, you know, Harvey Weinstein or whatever, there's like the excuses that they make, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. excuses that their parents make, like he was a good boy. You're going to ruin his whole life. You know, all those things that you hear. So they have the before when he's just really charming and he's a liar. And then you have the after when he's just being honest. And this one line that stuck out to me, because it just reminds me so much of the things that you hear these kinds of people say. Um, I mean, cannibals, of course, because I hang out with them all the time. Um, but these kind of, this kind of gross kind of male privilege, which is he's, um, he's like, she's like, when did you first eat like human, you know, eat a human? He's like, I think I was 18 or 19. And he's like, and then I just loved it. And I knew I had to have more. And he's like, and what a burden on me. Like, he's like, what a, he says that he's like, he's like, what a burden that I had to bear. He's like, now I have this thing that I have to worry about. And he's like, I'm a good kid. I'm making straight A's. I'm glad I'm in, I'm in the best college. He's like, and now I'm gonna have to deal with this. He's like, so, you know, it wasn't all peachy and, you know, rosy for me either. And it was so, like, in the way he says it, you can feel that he really thinks that. He feels bad for himself that he has that he has to eat people. Yeah. Yeah, good, good, good catch on on that. I think the other thing that you had, you and I had talked about before was um, the metaphor of objectification of women is pretty, pretty loud and blaring, right? In this in this film, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on that either. Yeah, but it's that, worth the note of yes. I mean, the, yeah, legs and butt and breasts go first on 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 the victims. 
Speaking of breasts, there was a line in the movie that I wanted to point out. Not as not as like deep as your line, Dad. Um, <laughs> she says, save the breast for last. And I thought it was really funny. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's right there in, yeah, that's the, in fair. the text. That, that was funny. That yeah. was funny. And, and you know, other than other than like the, um, well, there's, there's some that aren't. But most movies about cannibalism are at least somewhat darkly comic. Um, yeah. Well, I think back to when she takes the power back. Uh, that's when this movie starts to move from like away from, oh, this is not a cautionary tale about don't go into the woods alone with somebody you don't know. This starts to become prescriptive about society. Yeah. Um, as a horror, as a horror film. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and when we come back, Katie, we will dive right into who lives and who dies in Mimi Caves Fresh. And now, a word from our sponsors. Welcome back, everyone. We're continuing to talk about Mimi Caves Fresh. <laughs> you say everything so aggressively and sarcastically. What do you mean? Uh, one of these days, everyone's going to get to watch me hit this uh, microphone and slam it into Solomon's face. That'd be really funny. It will be very funny to me. And that's uh, basically a segue into who lives and who dies. Who lives and who dies. This is a horror movie after all. And so far, the body count is at zero. Which is super interesting. And I didn't even necessarily notice because I was so horrified about people just losing parts of themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and that when I talk about like horror as either cautionary or prescriptive... Um, in a cautionary tale, the protagonist is dead, dying. And then in a lot of horror, um, all the minor characters are dying. And what we don't see is the minor characters dying. We anticipate their death. We're certain at a number of times that they are dead or are going to die. And they keep uh, surviving. Um, and I thought that was really interesting where uh, actually this group of women, because let's, uh, let's kind of world build a little bit. Um, what's his name? The new Hannibal, uh, Sebastian Stan. His name is Steve. Steve Kent. Yep. Steve the cannibal. Yep. Um, he he keeps people in like he's got like a little cells that are somewhat like a like a nice hotel rooms or maybe something like a like a row of rooms on a yacht and they have this vent system and so these women are talking to each other and there's a lot of power that starts to gain and even just the relationship between the main character and then the second or the the um, supporting actor. Our supporting character, that to me was... Are you talking about the other prisoner or like her best friend? Who's her best uh, friend who is yeah. looking for her, finds right. her, and becomes a prisoner. Right. Um, but their relationship, I think, is actually the most important relationship in the film and sort of the crux of the power of the film. Yeah, and I, I think they, they do a good job of... Um, I mean, this is obviously this is a movie about empowerment, um, but I thought it was really interesting. They were able to undermine two tropes in one fell swoop one yeah the man doesn't come in to save the day but it, oh whoa, now i hit my microphone we should stop using our hands so much um so one the man doesn't come in to save the day and two you don't get the trope of you know the lone black man in the movie getting murdered instead right. he just like nopes the f out as soon as it starts looking creepy yeah. and then he's just gone let's take a moment to acknowledge that and appreciate that because we that's another supporting character another minor character who there's a moment where I was like, if this guy dies, I'm going to turn this off. 
Because if another black man dies unnecessarily in a horror movie, I'm gone. So he comes up almost to save the day. Yeah. And then hears a gunshot and then gets in the car and drives away. And drives away from the movie. Yeah. Drives away from the movie like I don't need to die today. Yeah. And and uh, but this also this not only to undermine that trope, but then they also get to make it to where um, it's about female friendships and the power of those. Yeah. And, um, you know, keep the message being around female empowerment yeah and we have jojo t gibbs um playing molly uh Mm -hmm. the who is an african-american woman a black woman um in this supporting role but also uh pulls together with the lead Mm -hmm. to create the empowerment and what i like is that the empowerment actually came from where power should come from from within these two these two women yeah and even though it was a supporting role that could have very easily, if it was written in um, a little more in a more shallow way, it could have turned into just the stereotypical sassy black friend role. And yeah. instead, she was it was she still was sassy. She still has her personality, but it, she also was the smart smartest person in the room uh, of pretty much right. any given room that she was in. Other than whenever she called the serial killer's phone right in front of his face, that was a bad move. I right. wouldn't have done that, Molly. But uh, most of us aren't used to dealing with serial killers. So. Yeah, also she was super curious. She needed to know. I think yeah. she needed to know uh, if she was dealing with. And and let's actually call in another important female character who is the serial killer's wife. And we oh, haven't yeah. mentioned her yet. Um, <clears throat> but she ends up playing an important role in this prescription on society as well as the woman who goes along with the problem, the problem behavior, or the woman who supports the toxic masculinity. Yeah. I was going to say, um, she doesn't have one of her legs and, um, I was just thinking about it. Like, you know, your wife is missing a leg. Yeah. That's what I'm sorry. Um, and you were talking about like losing parts of yourself and she like lost a part of herself to a man, you know, we don't know that though. Oh yeah. But it is kind of implied. It's the film alludes to maybe she successfully seduced her way out. So in some ways she chose a a self-preservation technique Mm -hmm. to supporting She's supporting the cannibalism business. Yep. To preserve herself. Yeah, and I I think that that um, they were there probably was some kind of critique that was going on of uh, I mean I don't think they blatantly say it at the end of the movie of you know the kind of women who prop up toxic men. Yeah, Jojo T Gibbs character Molly is yelling that as as she is bashing in her face with a shovel or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> that but was pretty blatant. I would say that I would take the I would ding the movie pretty heavily for not really doing anything with that character because there was the, they do a whole reveal that she like Solomon said like that she's missing a leg and in the movie that's about cutting off people's body parts there's a lot of backstory there that I think yeah. leaving that unexplored at all it actually ended up making her just a more one note one dimensional villain than the toxic cannibalistic roofing man huh I don't know if I if I would totally say she was one dimensional I mean, she has this interesting moment where, well, it's interesting. I guess it's a reveal for us because she sees, uh, well, Steve dies in the end or the the first end. Um, So let's just thankfully go ahead and say that Solomon was very sad about. No, I wasn't. I was just sad about the way Steve also loses some body parts and that made Solomon uncomfortable. Yeah, Solomon, why don't you tell us about what happened to Steve? I'm not going to. The people don't need to know. They don't deserve to hear. Well, don't don't use graphic language. Just give them a general sense of what happened. It got bitten off. <laughs> it got bitten off. Yeah, a successful uh, seduction occurs, mm-hmm. and a successful attack on um, 
Daisy, what's uh, Noah? Noah is the name of the character, yeah. um, the main character. And then she's able to get two other women out, one of them being her best friend, Molly. And that's when they turn into this like power team of mm -hmm. women who are not unscathed. In fact, they're very scathed who uh, take on take on Steve. Um, and that fast forward us to the point where Steve's wife has been trying to get a hold of him and she can't. She shows up on the scene. She finds his murdered body. And that's when her character can go either way. Like one backstory would be revealed if she um, shows relief at his death. But she pragmatically says, huh, get his body on ice. As if like she's just making a business decision. Right. Yeah. We need to sell. This is fresh meat. We need to sell this. And and I will say that I would much rather have a tight, brisk horror movie that uh, sacrifices a little bit of character development for tertiary characters yeah. than I would another. Because I know I'm in the, in the minority here, but I really find uh, like the really popular horror movies like Hereditary to be almost unbearable. Because I don't want to watch a two-hour and 15-minute long horror movie. You know what I mean? It's just too much. It's too long. It's too much misery, and yeah. So, I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna still ding them because I think that if the, they should have just not revealed anything else about her, that would make me want to know more. Um, well, she she then fakes like to try to get close to Noah to try to kill Noah. She fakes. Uh, she does a little performance of "Oh my God, you saved us." I was like a prisoner, and then gets close to Noah's neck and then tries to strangle her. Noah. Should not, should not have uh, been trusting her. She never seen a Scream movie. All the killers in the Scream movies always pretend like they were the victim for a second. And that lady was wearing uh, perfectly nice clothes and had all of her body parts. Well, well, she didn't. She was missing a leg, but she didn't know that. Noah couldn't know that in that, that moment. But either way, I was very happy. I was. I, I realized at some point, and I, I'm, this is not me just trying to humble brag my predict, prediction abilities. I did say it at some point in the movie. So I was so nervous that it was going to have a nihilistic ending. Because did you ever see uh, Promising Young Woman? No, I didn't see that. Very, very similar theme of this movie. But with just such a brutally nihilistic ending that it made me infuriated. It made mm. you, it just made you, it, it, not that they made the wrong choice, even though I think they did. But it just made you feel gross afterwards for like three hours. Sure. But it was whenever I re realized like, oh, okay, her name is Noah. They wouldn't, that's not a normal girl's name or not, not a common Girl's not a name. common girl's name. So I was like, so if she doesn't end up leading everybody to safety, then that was just a dumb, quirky choice for them to use. So thank God that that ended up happening. That they, yeah, she did. She pulled them out and then they banded together. I think I want to actually call out some of the most dreadful moments where we just know that there's this other, this third woman, Penny might be, I, mm -hmm. I think the character's name, um, is in the cell next to Noah okay. and they're talking and you know that part of Penny has been taken. Like, you know, probably that, many parts. Yeah. Right. And you don't know how much, but there's this, this really brilliant dread the entire time of like, is this person just a torso is like, yeah. like what is left of this person? And then when, um, uh, there's this reveal of what's left with her. And that to me was one of the most like dreadful shots is just like going up and over the wall where the camera is going to give you like, bird's eye view of how much of this woman is left and it's actually way more than i was expecting yeah same. <laughs> she's she still had one leg and one arm and at least and one eye and the yeah. rest of her you know or like we don't know if they took her butt or whatnot did but. she have an eye she, she was missing an eye i think she was missing an eye she had something over her face i did not notice that i didn't notice i might have made that up well we're 
rapidly approaching wrap up time, but I we've been kind of talking over uh, Solomon because he doesn't have anything to say. Not not uh, not, uh, not our fault. What? But but there's this, there is something that Solomon was having a very vis- visceral reaction to because he didn't really care what was happening to the women. Okay, I'm That's, just I'm just kidding. I I'm care. not I'm not trying to trap you. Um, walk onto this hole covered with leaves. Um, anyway, there's a uh, they. This is where you can tell that this movie was written and uh, directed by women mm-hmm. is for the most part, there are some scenes, but for the most part, the physical violence is not shown when it's towards the women. Right. But still perfectly, perfectly allowing you to feel the horror of it. Right. They're not trying yeah. to shelter you from it. I feel like they just know that we've already seen that in a lot of other movies and there's a really fine line between making a movie that has commentary that's funny and whatever and getting fully into exploitation when you're actually physically watching a man cut a woman's breasts off. Right. Mm-hmm. So they save all of the physical gore and violence as these women put it onto Steve and he finally gets his comeuppance in, in really horrible ways. Anyway, Solomon had a very specific reaction to this scene, so I just kind of wanted you to walk us through that before we get to our wrap-up and our arbitrary scoring system. So listen, all the other things were left to my imagination, right? All right, that that was... But the thing is, I just thought the movie was too funny, so I didn't just didn't leave... I didn't... My, my brain wasn't, like, going wild. But then it just physically showed me something that I already don't like, which is just like active real violence where you're just getting like kicked. And I just know there's like some eternal bleeding when you're, your lungs are getting kicked internal in. Internal bleeding? Yeah, internal bleeding, as I said. I thought you said eternal bleeding. Maybe I did. It's eternally internal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just made me feel really, really uncomfortable because I already don't like that. I don't like it in all the horror movies, like whenever they're trying to like leave the killer, like Mike Myers or something, and they're and they, they like stab themselves and then like pull them pull it out and then run. That makes me oh, I don't like it. It's too real and too uncomfortable. And then, like I said earlier, the main character seduces the seduces him and then ends up biting, you know, sensitive part of the body. Yeah, and I felt so sick so fast because and i just want to be clear to the audience so if you do want to watch this movie you don't see this you don't really see this right yeah you just you see more of the blood splatter right and the fallout right but you see the aftermath but you're not seeing the event i feel so awful right now thinking <laughs> about it i just it's not because i cared that's it's not because i wasn't happy that the girls won it's that it happened at all to anyone i don't want to see it ever that it's not something I want to see in any movie, and I just didn't like it. Didn't like it one bit, one tiny little bit. So, do you feel like it went like too far? You thought it was too much violence, like too much. I just gore? wish it wasn't. I just wish I didn't have to see it. Like I think people could have enjoyed it, and I just wish I wasn't there to watch it. Well, I would have been happy to watch him slowly go through a meat grinder. I wouldn't mind if they that, slowly that, cleaned that his been body more off. Normal, because I've seen stuff like that before. Although a meat grinder where they're like... Sl- no. You've seen a person go through a meat grinder before? Where? I've seen, movies. I've seen someone's head get like chopped up really quickly by giant knives. Oh, that's in Fear Street. Yeah. So that isn't... I was on our podcast. You should what, what, listen to that episode. I'm working my way through. Um. So yeah, that made me feel... That, that, was, that was fine. But like... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not that. 
I think that um, what I liked about it was it kept it firmly in that, like it kind of moved into slasher territory, but it still kept it firmly in that um, a genre of horror movie that you're supposed to still be enjoying. That's the other thing. I felt like you were supposed to still be enjoying the process of watching a movie, even though that wasn't your experience. I think that that was the tone because if if this was like, I think like an Ari Aster movie or Ari Aster, however you pronounce his name, um, I think the ending probably, if it wouldn't have been with them all getting trapped back in their cages and that's it, I think it would have ended with them if they won, then we cut to a post, you know, they're all happy and then we pan over and now he's like in one of those rooms, but he's just a torso or something really gross. You know what I mean? Um, So there was a, there was a lightness and there's because revenge is naturally cathartic to an audience. There was a way that you leave the movie, at least I did feeling. Well, and a, and a horror movie is asking the question, who's going to win hope or hell. Right. And in this one, we get, we get hope. And part of that hope comes from the, uh, yeah, the revenge actually. And her name is Noah and they gave him a very old Testament style death. I says eye for an eye and they, I think they were actually pretty nice. I, I mean, I'm so, I don't know if I should be concerned about myself that the, the saint, the sanity in the movie comes when they murder him. Yeah. And that like, you know, there's a lot of interesting reactions that come up in this film and there was, people. and there was no, um, there was no like trying to torture him or whatever. They no. the only reason he kept getting stabbed and punched is because he kept fighting and trying to get them. Right. When, as soon as they have a gun, they just want to shoot him. They're not like, we're going to shoot you in your toes and then we're going to take your kneecaps <laughs> right. off. So they're not technically doing eye for an eye. They're like, uh, leave us alone. Our, our number one goal is to live. Yeah. All right. Well, we are uh, about a minute over time, so um, we're going to have to go ahead and give our arbitrary rating. You can use any numerical scale you want. Anything that you want to say doesn't have to make any sense. It's like whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. So who wants to go first? You want to go right to left? Right to left? Uh, sure. I can go first. I'm going to give it um, a 510. Five, what? 510s? A five ten, I don't know. I, could, I I picked a number. Well, five out of ten. So you're giving the movie a fifty out of a hundred. Wait, you gotta. So you, I don't know the rules. It's arbitrary. <laughs> oh, sorry. You can use any scoring system. You can use a score. You know, a score system of one out of eight, one out of five. You can give it three stars. You can give it oh, ten so trees. Like, okay. But there needs to be a so, so the audience so has like idea what maybe, you're. So okay, okay, okay. I would give it an. Uh, Eight and a half out of ten. So I exactly the ratings I was gonna give it. Eight and a half out of ten. Yeah. Well, I was gonna give it an eight point five uh, bitten peepees. You what a ripoff! I was gonna give it three point five severed members. So we all give it the exact same score at the end of the day. No, you give it a seven. Okay, fine. Mine's a little bit lower. Yeah. Um, you want to hear a fun fact? Real quick. It'll be the last fact that we hear because we get a tag out. Awesome. Um, there's a cannibal, uh, who exists in real life and, uh, he is a 100% consensual cannibal who just, if some, if he, if people want to go to his house and get eaten, he'll do it. He'll eat them. Is that legal? I don't know. I just know he's real. Can you cite your source? No. Do you know his name? It was one of my friends told me that. You're like Carl Pilkington. One of your friends yeah. is a cannibal? <laughs> One of your friends. I'll do that. You're straight up like Carl. Maybe you should do monkey news next time. Maybe maybe it's a fake fun fact. But either way, it's not a, maybe it's just a, a, a fun 
Maybe it's just a lie. It Maybe. It was fun, right? All right. Thanks for <laughs> listening, guys and gals. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Kids Stays in the Podcast. Until next time. Make sure you subscribe. Follow us on Kids Stays in the Picture on Instagram or follow us on RogueMediaNetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.